Take out your bulletin real quick. Turn it on the back. I've got a pop quiz for you. You used to be a school teacher, so play along. Pop quiz. Turn it on the back. Serious. You can fail this quiz. Get thrown out of church <laughs> right here. I promise you. We've got some friends who will escort you out momentarily. True or false quiz, all right, you get a 50-50 shot of each one. This is actually all subjective, so you can't fail the quiz. I know some of you are freaking out. It's okay. True or false, and just list maybe one to five. I've got five different true or false statements. I'm just curious where we stand this morning, all right? So here's the first one. I find it easy to determine God's will for my life. True or false? I find it easy to determine God's will for my life. True or false? Some of you are stewing way too long over it, all right? You're thinking you're going to fail. Just true, T or F, true or false? I find it easy to determine God's will for my life. Number two, I often wonder if my life is lined up with God's will. True or false, I often wonder if my life is lined up with God's will. I often wonder if my life is lined up with God's will. Number three, I often look for signs from God to show me His will. I often look for signs from God to show me His will. Number four, finding God's will is often like trying to find a needle in a haystack. True or false? Finding God's will is often like trying to find a needle in a haystack. Some of you don't want to put false because you figure God's going to, you know, he's going to escort you out of church. Be honest with yourself this morning, all right? And number five, the center of God's will is always the safest place to be. The center of God's will is always the safest place to be. Now, some of your brave souls this morning, you don't mind to let me know what you put down on the paper. Others, you can just abstain from this particular exercise. How many of you have, have, have said, you know what, I think it's generally true in my life that I have found it really easy to determine God's will for my life. Anybody put true on that first statement? It's a few of you. Oh, my goodness. Nobody wants to, you know, I don't want to be holier than thou, you know. How many of you say, you know what, <laughs> I put, had to put false on there. I found it difficult. Anybody? Yeah, many, many times. I imagine from stage to stage in life, maybe it's easier at some points and more difficult at others. Anybody ever wonder if your, if your life is lined up with God's will? Anybody put true on that? Oh, I often wonder. Man, that's a tough one. Anybody, uh, anybody looking for signs? You'd say, God, show me something. Show me. I mean, you're, yeah. Okay. Uh, how many of you say finding God's will is like looking for a needle in a haystack? Anybody? Okay. You know, I see a lot of nod head. Nobody wants to raise their hand. All right, I get you. Um, how many of you have been taught or believe that, uh, that the, the will of God is always the, the safest place to be? Anybody? Okay. I want to talk with you this morning about a, a familiar story, one that, that you'll know. I mean, it is, uh, even if you haven't been in church, this will be something that you probably just culturally have been made aware of because the Christmas story is certainly from Scripture, but it has become a cultural narrative. People know the story. Even those who wouldn't consider themselves religious or even believers in God would probably know some of the details of this story. So I want you to turn with me as we think about finding and determining and living out God's will for your life. Turn with me to the book of Luke, Luke chapter 1. It may seem that we're getting a head start on Christmas, but we have nothing on our society when it comes to getting a head start on Christmas. They started in October, 
We're just starting at the end of November, all right? So not trying to rush things. Today happens to be on the Christian calendar, the first day of Advent, just so you know. Uh, the first Sunday, anyway, of Advent. So we're starting a series that will cover the Christmas story over the next five weeks. Christmas, actually, this year falls on a Sunday. And so many of you are going to just fret over what to do on that Christmas morning. Is it more spiritual to be in church or to be with my family? I'll just call out the things that you are going to wrestle with. You know, all right, boys, I don't, if I don't go to church, preacher's going to think I really don't care. But, you know, listen, if, if you want to make it to church that morning, we'll be here that Sunday morning. I'll be in town. I'll be standing up here. And if it's just me and my family, we'll have church that Sunday morning. All right. If you make it, great. If not, we won't, we won't throw you out just for that. Okay. So anyway, uh, in, in Luke chapter 1, we're going to begin in verse 26. And, uh, and I want to, to impress upon you a certain principle this morning that I think you probably already believe, but I, I want to defend it from a scriptural position. I want to help you take some more steps along this road. I really believe that there's probably somebody here this morning who is teetering on whether or not they will live out God's will for their life, whether they will go toward the Lord, or when they see what the Lord requires of them, they will go the other way. And we'll see a, a character in this particular story that faced just such a situation. You've got your bulletin turned over. I want you to write this principle down. It flies in the face a little bit of the last question I ask you, but I really believe that it's probably more true than that statement. The center of God's will is the best place to be. I heard it said and sat under a pastor for a long time who would always say that the center of God's will is the safest place to be. I can tell you by experience that's not true. Not always is it true that the center of God's will is the safest place to be. We saw those missionaries on the video that proved by their very lives and where they live that the center of God's will can sometimes be the most dangerous place to be. But it is always the best place to be. Look with me, Luke chapter 1, verse 26. We're going to look at the first two verses to start with. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth, to a virgin engaged to a man named Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. Now pause right there for just a second. We're talking about the center of God's will being the best place to be and the first thing I take you to is when an angel shows up to Mary to announce to her she's going to be pregnant with the very Son of God by the power of the Holy Spirit. And it's an angel delivering the news. You might say, well, I can handle that. If an angel showed up to me, surely to goodness I could figure out God's will then. I mean, they just sort of tell you. You know, every time an angel shows up in the, in the Scripture, they sort of make it very clear, thus saith the Lord. Here's exactly what God wants from you. So you may at first balk at this entire passage of Scripture talking about knowing and understanding and following the will of God for your life because it involves an angel that's never appeared to you. I've never had an angel appear to me either, just so you know. I would probably freak out. I, you know, my hair might grow back. It may be good. It would certainly stand up on its end. I, I tell you, if an angel showed up to me, I'd have no problem with the will of God. It would be very, very clear to me. You might say, you know, there's, there's no way that I can truly know the will of God the way that Mary learns the will of God because I doubt very seriously that in my lifetime an angel is going to show up in my living room and say, Behold, O favored one of God, thus saith the Lord, 
I doubt that's going to happen. You might say, well, how then am I to know what is the foundation of God's will for my life if I'm not going to get a message from an angel? Well, there's a very simple answer to that, uh, but I want to show you a couple of examples while, while we look at it. Hold your place in Luke chapter 1. Turn to the right just a little to the book of John. John chapter 6. Now, for those who would say, there's no way for me really to know the foundation of God's will for my life because an angel has not shown up to me and probably never will, I want you to note something very, very simple that I am using this morning. Now, this will sound like I'm speaking down to you. I don't mean it to be. I'm using God's word to highlight what his will is. Don't miss that. You want to know what God's will for your life is. You may not receive a message from an angel, but what do you hold in your hands? You hold the very word of God, the message from God, which is far and away deeper, in a sense, and more comprehensive than an angel showing up in your living room and scaring you to death and then delivering God's word. So here we look in the very word of God to find what his will is for our lives. Look with me in John chapter 6. Look in verse 28. What can we do to perform the works of God, they ask him. Other versions might say, what can we do to do the will of God or to do the works of God? What does God require? The disciples are kind of saying, Lord, uh, Jesus, what, what are we really supposed to be doing? It's a question about the will of God for their lives. What are we to be doing? Verse 29, Jesus replied, this is the work of God. That you believe on the one or in the one he has sent. He didn't tell them that you go do this, 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 and this, that you go and you get your education in this particular place, and then you go and work for this place, and that is the will of God. There's your foundation. He says the foundation for the will of God is to believe in the one that he has sent. Then flip over to the right a little bit more. First Thessalonians. A little bit harder to find. Buried in between. The letters that Paul has written comes right before 2 Thessalonians. For those of you math majors, 1 Thessalonians, right after Colossians. Look at chapter 4, verse 3. Paul is writing here telling them, for this is God's will. You want it plain and simple? Here it is. Your sanctification. Big churchy fancy word that means getting all cleaned up exactly the way God wants you to be by the power of His Holy Spirit conform to the image of Jesus Christ just as God wants you to be. The will of God that you believe in the one that He has sent that you be sanctified or you grow in holiness and purity with Him. The foundation of God's will for your life is very simple whether or not an angel ever shows up to you. Believe in Jesus let God work on you to make you just like Him. It's pretty simple. We say, well, hold on. Now, I've got a situation this week. I need to know the will of God. I want to say to you with all respect and, and, and absolute sincerity, it doesn't get any deeper than believing in Jesus and being conformed to His image in every situation you face, regardless of what you do in life, regardless of your vocation, regardless of your age, that's the foundation. How do I handle my boss at work? What is God's will for me in this situation? As long as you are believing in Jesus, and as long as you are being conformed to His image, you will be in the center of God's will, regardless of what you're doing for a living, 
regardless of where you are living, and I say that with some reservation because some would say, well, now hold on, if somebody's called to be this or that and they're not doing that, understand, I really believe if they're called to be this or that and they're also being conformed to God's image, it'll work itself out. If an angel doesn't show up to you, you have already gotten all that you need to know about the will of God. But there's more in this particular passage that I want you to, to see this morning. The will of God is, I think, um, often, as we've mentioned, it seems like finding a needle in a haystack, but it becomes so plain in Scripture, and yet there's more to it than that as we look at Mary's story. Verse 26, Gabriel shows up to her in Luke chapter 1. Verse 28, the angel came to her and said, Rejoice, favored woman, the Lord is with you. But she was deeply troubled by this statement, wondering what kind of greeting this could be. The angel shows up, tells her she is blessed by the Lord, tells, is getting ready to tell her what the will of God specifically is for her life in that moment. And it says she's deeply troubled, scared to death. But not necessarily scared to death by the presence of the angel. What does it say? She's troubled wondering what kind of greeting this could be. She's not, not afraid at the angel, but she's wondering, what's he want with me? You ever experienced something that you know God has called you to do, and you say, well, hold on, hold on, Lord. You, you, why me? I can't do that. Lord, that, that kind of shakes me up just a little bit. The one guy on the video talking about he could no longer live in a comfort zone kind of life knowing what Jesus had done for him and the need that exists in the world. He couldn't do it anymore, I guarantee you though. Scared to death. And the Lord called him to that. In Jewish culture during this time, Mary could have been as young as 12 years old. We don't really know for sure. Most likely she's a teenager or something like that. But she's very young. Imagine. An angel showing up to you with a message from God when you're that young. If you're not thrown off your feet by the angel's presence, certainly what does God want to do with me at such a, a young age? The will of God catches you off guard. When it becomes clear that you are called to live a certain way, and then as you begin to live that certain way, it becomes clear God has specifically designed you for a particular area to serve in, a particular ministry, a particular vocation in which he'll use you in a spectacular way, it can catch you off guard because most of the time we're happy, and I speak in we, we're happy just sort of taking up space and living out our lives and don't bother me, Lord, everything's okay, leave me in the bubble and I'm, and I'm good. And I wonder if Mary would have been much the same way. Just a normal Jewish girl, just going about her business in her family's home, engaged to a man, soon to be married, sort of the natural transition for Jewish women during that time, and here comes an angel. Here comes the will of God for her life to interrupt everything that she was doing. I wonder what it is for you that God keeps interrupting you with. What does God keep over and over and over and over and over again 
burning inside of your heart when he shows up. Maybe not in angel form, but when you read the word of God and you continually see it. What is it? I'd imagine that it scares you to death. I'd imagine that, that you realize, well, if I lived that way, if I did those things, if I really sold out to the Lord's will in my life, it would probably alienate me from the majority of folks that I'm currently around. We might still be friends, but they're, they're going to think I've lost it. <laughs> they're going to think that I'm getting carried away. I'm a religious fanatic. They're going to think something about me that I'm not sure I want them to think. Mary was afraid when she began to discover the will of God for her life. So if you're a little bit afraid this morning by what God keeps interrupting you with, keeps bringing back to your mind, don't feel alone. You're in pretty good company. Maybe there's a group of people on your heart. Maybe there's a specific ministry on your heart, and you're scared to death to take the first step. You might not have an angel show up unexpectedly, but you realize as you read the Scripture, God's will for your life is something different than the road you're on right now. Despite it being sometimes a very fearful thing, the will of God, Mary learns, is the best place to be, even when you're afraid. Even when you're afraid. Verse 30 continues this story. Then the angel told her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Now listen, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will call his name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Mary asked the angel, how can this be, since I have not been intimate with a man? Some read in a, a lack of faith, connecting the story back to Zechariah, the, the father of John the Baptist, who doubted that in his old age he could have a son. This is really not quite like that. It's just a question of, well, okay. Um, but you see, we haven't uh, gotten married yet and done the things that bring about a pregnancy. We haven't done those things yet. How can this be. Mary was beginning to understand that though she's afraid, okay, the will of God is the best place to be. Now she begins to understand that the will of God is the best place to be even when it seems impossible. Even when it seems impossible. Mary understood what Gabriel meant. She was going to be pregnant before she and Joseph were married. She understood that. And she wondered, how, how is that going to happen? I won't embarrass you this morning with any of those details, obviously, but I, I think it's fair to say Mary kind of had an understanding of the way things were to work, and she didn't quite know how this was going to be possible. It wasn't a matter of faith. It was just a matter of reasonable limitation, sort of not going to happen if certain other things aren't a part of the relationship. Mary had no resources to accomplish what the angel is telling her is going to happen. It was impossible in her eyes for that to take place. Maybe you feel like Mary and what God has called you to do, the life that God has called you to live. <laughs> it's impossible. It can't be done. There's no way that I 
There's no way that we, there's no way that this could happen. Maybe you feel like Mary in what God has called you to accomplish on his behalf. But look at verse 35. The angel replied to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And consider your relative Elizabeth. Even she has conceived a son in her old age, and, is, and this is the sixth month for her who was called barren. For nothing. Maybe you want to mark verse 37. Nothing will be impossible with God. The explanation from Gabriel on how God will accomplish what he wants to do trumps Mary's question of how can this be? God's got another plan, Gabriel says. He's got it under control. He controls the impossible. Mary may have thought back as Gabriel says, for nothing will be impossible with God to the story she had heard as a young Jewish girl of of Abraham and Sarah who for decades were unable to have a child and God overcame the impossible even as they laughed in his face saying there's no way this can happen in our 90s. Maybe she thought of the story of the Red Sea when the Jewish nation is between the the sea and the Egyptian army and it looks to be impossible for them to escape. And God says, Moses, I'm going to part the Red Sea. (laughs) And Charlton Heston stands there, you know, the wind blowing through his hair and maybe Mary thinks of Charlton Heston. No, she she thinks of Moses and how God overcame the impossible. Or maybe, maybe she thought of Jericho, Joshua's first big battle. And, and they come to it, and it's a fortified city, and, and God gives them the most unique battle plan the world has ever known. March around the city, and then uh, after six days, you march around once each day, and then on the seventh day, you march around uh, seven times, and then you scream and yell and holler, and then the walls will fall down. I'm no general. Uh, no, no military man, uh, but, uh, but that's a little unconventional. But God is the God of the impossible. Maybe she thought of Nehemiah, whose heart is broken for Jerusalem as, as he's in exile with all of the Israelites. And he wants to rebuild the walls to give the city dignity and protection again. And he arrives and it's in complete ruins. In less than 60 days, God does the impossible. The walls are rebuilt. I don't know what Mary thought of. But I'm sure she thought, I don't have the resources for this. (laughs) This is not going to happen in my life. And Gabriel says there is nothing impossible with God. Nothing impossible. How will God accomplish what you think is impossible in your life? How will He overcome in your life a lack of education? A lack of ability? a lack of experience, a lack of money, to do or to live, you believe, as He has called you to live. I honestly don't know. Some of you are disappointed and you're ready to leave at that, but I honestly don't know for you how God will accomplish the impossible. But I know this, that God called, Jesus called ordinary men to be His disciples. Uneducated, poor, didn't have anything really to offer. 
and later on the people are amazed at what God did, the impossible, through these men. I don't know how God's going to overcome it in your life, but I know that God overcame the inabilities of Moses. God, I can't speak well. God, he's not going to listen to me. God says, I'll trump all of that. I'll put words in your mouth. And by the way, I've got somebody to come and help you. Go to Pharaoh and tell him, let my people go. There's no inability on our part that God cannot trump. You may say, well, I don't have experience or I'm too young to do anything for the Lord. I don't know how God will overcome that, but I know that he called David, who was young and seemingly insignificant, out in the field tending the sheep. He called him to lead the nation of Israel. I don't know how God will overcome money issues that you might face in doing the will of God, but I know this, just as the video said that we saw, it all belongs to God anyway. He owns it all. We may think we do. <laughs> We're good at that. But he owns it all. And he's not worried about where it's going to come from. He's not worried about rainy days. He's not worried about any of that. Because he owns it all. He can always overcome the impossible. He always has and he always will. Mary said, how can this be? And Gabriel said, God's already got a plan. Don't worry about it. Verse 31, Gabriel is telling Mary here sort of a, a principle that's interlaced with, with this passage. Even when it seems impossible, and, and Mary learns that the, the center of God's will is the best place to be, even when it's bigger than you. Look what he says in verse 31. Imagine this. Young girl, um, just sort of minding her own business. You will conceive and give birth to a son. Okay, all right, I, I can handle that part. You will call his name Jesus, okay? Uh, in Hebrew, that, that's Joshua, which means Yahweh saves. Wait a minute, something's getting a little serious here. He will be great. All right, good. I'd like to be the parent of a great child. And he will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will have no end. Hold on just a second. Mary can handle having a son, a great son. But the Son of God, as a teenager who's not married, <laughs> even when it's bigger than you. Mary's resume, think about it. Young girl, ordinary, average parents. A town called Nazareth, which later one of the, the guys who became a disciple of Jesus would say, has anything good <laughs> ever come out of Nazareth? To which nobody really had an answer. They didn't want to really call it out and say, well, Jesus from Nazareth. But, you know, really, you're right. Nothing good has ever come out of there. I don't know which part of town you think of that, you know, here around Callaway County. Now, I'm from Louisville. We got parts of town that says, anything good ever come out of there? You know? Mary's resume was nothing special. No credentials. No royalty. She didn't come from a royal family. No money. She couldn't provide financially for a child out of wedlock. No way. She's engaged to a carpenter, which is a noble position, but it's not going to be some position that's spectacular. It's just an ordinary person. There's nothing special about what Mary brought to the table. To be the parent of the very Son of God was bigger than her. She's favored by God, not because of anything she could list on a resume, but because it says the Lord was with her. That's what Gabriel said. <laughs> the Lord is with you. 
All she had to offer was a humble and willing spirit. And that was enough. She was going to be the earthly mother of God's very son. The promised Messiah that her people had waited for for centuries. And it's her. Seemingly out of nowhere. She had to be wondering, well, who am I? Why me? Why not this, this person you know, over in Jerusalem, the big town? You realize that Bethlehem and Nazareth were not really cities. They were just sort of glorified villages. Jerusalem's the big city. Why don't, Lord, you go find somebody there who's important? She didn't, in this passage, I love it, didn't try to reason with, with God or the angel, obviously, over why God would choose her for such an assignment. She knew it was bigger than her, and yet she will eventually submit to it. We have to understand that in our lives, God's will is always about Him. It ain't about you and me. It's not about me, and it's not about you, because it's always going to be bigger than us if it truly is the will of God for our lives. Always going to be bigger. What is it that God has placed before you? Is it being a parent? That's bigger than you. I can say that with absolute confidence. Being a parent is bigger than me. I can't do it. I love my kids, but I cannot be the kind of parent God wants me to be on my own. It's impossible. Bigger than me. Being a student, where's our, we got some college and high school students around over here, some middle school students. That's bigger than you. It's not easy. You're busier now than you've ever been, trying to manage it all, trying to keep it all together, and you don't really want to do it in the first place. It's bigger than you. Tough. Maybe you're a person who's aging and you say, this is, this is hard. This is difficult. This is not what I imagined it to be. This is beyond my own resources. This is bigger than me. Maybe it's a calling to some sort of ministry. Or you see a video like that and you realize the Lord is calling you. Not just to give, but to go. And you say... I, it's bigger than me. I don't have what it takes. Do you know my resume? It's blank. <laughs> I got nothing. Maybe God has called you to be a certain person, to live in a certain way, and you say, I can't do that. God's will is always going to be bigger than you. It's always going to require faith and trust and dependence on Him. Always. We could do it in our own strength. Why would we need the Lord? He's going to put before us things we cannot accomplish on our own. Mary has no resources, no resume to accomplish what the Lord lays before her. It's bigger than her. But it's still the best place to be. Mary also learns that the will of God is the best place to be even when it brings hardship. Even when it brings hardship. Virginity during this time was, um, was a very honored state, a pristine, pure, holy state that people revered. It's not a derogatory term to call Mary a virgin in the scripture. It's a term of glory. She was honored. It's a sign of self-control, a sign of moral faithfulness. Not quite the same in our society today. It's hard for us to understand that. Sexuality is, is really on so far the other way that we have trouble 
understanding how honored and how special that would be. Here she's going to wind up pregnant before she's married. Joseph's response to that news, when he discovers it, her, her betrothed, gives us an indication of how hard her story was to believe. We, we, have, we have all of this. We have the scripture. What did Mary have? Hey, by the way, an angel showed up to me the other day, and, uh, and that's why I'm pregnant. Okay. We, we believe you. I mean, think about that scenario. She's trying to explain away her early pregnancy because an angel showed up to her and said the Holy Spirit was going to put a baby inside of her. That never happened before. Nobody's going to believe that. It's hard for us, I think, to appreciate Mary's step of faith here. The risk and the the hardship that would be associated with her submitting to the will of God for her life. She understood what it would bring. That she would be ostracized. That she would be sneered at. That she would be misunderstood. That people would not believe her. That her own family would probably want to disown her. That her engaged husband would say, I just need to get rid of her quietly. And an angel would have to show up to him to stop him. Hard to believe it brought a lot of hardship for her. But the risk, the hardship of being pregnant before marriage were overwhelmed and they were overshadowed by the joy of being in the center of God's will. Think about it. She's got a choice to make. Yeah, it's, it's going to be seemingly impossible. But okay, I see kind of what the angel is saying. Boy, it sure is bigger than me. I'm a little bit afraid of this. But I think I can do it. And then she considers the hardship. Isn't that where it stops you sometimes? You say, all right, I get this. It's a step of faith. And then when you begin to count the cost, I'm not sure I can can take that step to be that person God wants me to be. I'm not sure that I can can launch out into this area of ministry. I'm not sure I can be that kind of parent, or I'm not sure of this or that, because I know how difficult it's going to be. And there's Mary. Young about to tell her family and be revealed to them whether she tells them or not that she's pregnant out of wedlock. But she's willing to risk all of that for the sake of being in the center of God's will. What about us? I want to I say this to you as, as delicately as I, as I can, because I say it to myself as well. And I, I, I like to be delicate with myself. <laughs> I'd rather not punch myself in the mouth if I don't have to. But, but if being a Christian... And, and, and listen on this. If being a Christian has brought you zero hardship because you're a Christian, there's a good chance that your faith is shallow, it's hidden, or it's both. If being a Christian has brought you zero, zero hardship, none whatsoever because you're a Christian, I'm not not talking about you making up your own problems. I'm talking about as a result of your faith in Jesus Christ, you experience some real hardship in life. There's a good chance, if that's never been the case, your faith is either shallow 
It's hidden or both. Because when Mary begins to do the will of God, it immediately brings hardship, even in her family who loved God. I think in truth, many of us, myself included, had a conversation about this last night. Sort of expect that if we do what God wants us to do, then it's all going to be just fine. Now, I won't make you admit that. I'll admit it on behalf of everybody here that I think that way. I just think, well, Lord, um, I'm a pastor for crying out loud. Surely to goodness, I've, you know, I've earned something. It ought to just be smooth, shouldn't it? Shouldn't ever have to deal with financial trouble. Shouldn't ever have to have a bad day or those little annoyances. Shouldn't lose your keys or your cell phone. God just ought to miraculously put it all together for you at the end of the day because you're following Him. Shouldn't ever have a, a job that you don't like. You shouldn't ever lose your job, certainly. Should never have a problem at home with your marriage or your children or anything like that because I'm a Christian, I'm following the Lord, He ought to make my path totally smooth. And some of us, as I said, myself included, live by that. And we fail to understand that there is no promise of smooth sailing. In fact, there's the opposite promise. Don't be surprised when you face the very things you thought you'd avoid by following Jesus. Don't be surprised. Jesus says if they mistreat you, they're just doing the same thing they did to all the prophets, the same thing they'll do to me, and they'll continue to do that. If you face hardship in this world, understand that all you're experiencing is the promise of Jesus in John chapter 16. In this world, you're going to have trouble. Following Him brings hardship. Mary learns that. But God's will trumps any kind of momentary problem or pain that you have because His will brings eternal joy. I want you to look real quick at a scripture that I think illustrates this very well. If you're looking at your bulletin, yes, we've got a couple more things to cover. Just relax, I promise. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Paul is explaining to the Corinthians this incredible trust of the gospel that he has, the message of Jesus Christ, what they're doing as a result of that. And, and then he begins to bring the reality to it that we all know about. Verse 7, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Now we have this treasure, the gospel, in clay jars, talking about us, so that this extraordinary power may be from God and not from us. And here's where he puts the flesh on it. We are pressured in every way but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. We are persecuted, but not abandoned. We are struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry the death of Jesus in our body. Doesn't sound like a smooth path, does it? So that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For, for we who live are always given over to death, wait a minute, because of Jesus. So that Jesus' life may also be revealed in our mortal flesh. So death works in us, but life in you. And since we have the same spirit of faith in accordance to what is written, I believe, therefore I spoke, we also believe and therefore speak, knowing that the one who raised the Lord Jesus will, will, will raise us also with Jesus and present us with you. For all this is because of you, so that grace extended through more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow for God's, to God's glory. Therefore, verse 16, we do not give up. Even though our outer person is being destroyed, 
Our inner person is being renewed day by day for our momentary light affliction is producing for us an absolutely incomparable eternal weight of glory. So we do not focus on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. The hardship you may face because you are a believer in Jesus, Paul says, is a momentary light affliction. It's like a splinter in your finger. Yeah, it hurts. No, it's not any fun. But in the grand scheme of all eternity and the joy that God will bring for those who follow the joy that Mary experienced by being able to be the mother of Jesus Christ trumps all of the hardship and it's all worth it. Not because we muster up the strength or we're just positive, but because God says so. He says it's worth it. And he'll bring it to pass. Mary learned that the center of God's will is the best place to be even though she's afraid, even though it seemed impossible, even though it's bigger than her. And even though it brought hardship, so what do you do? Let's look at it quickly and we'll close. Verse 38 of Luke chapter 1, she simply submits to it. What do you do? You submit to it. You know what God's will is for your life, to know Him, to be conformed to Him. Verse 38, I am the Lord's slave, said Mary. May it be done to me according to your word. Then the angel left her. Submit to it. And then... Get input from godly people. What's the next thing she does? Verse 39. Mary hurried to a town in the hill country of Judah where she entered Zechariah's house and greeted Elizabeth. She goes to Elizabeth. And I'll make it short for you. Elizabeth celebrates with her. Celebrates. The baby, she says, leaped in my womb when she knew that the mother of my Lord has walked in the door. Mary goes to get input from godly people. You want to know? I'm thinking this may be God's will for my life. It sure seems like that. Go get input. Why? Because you need to be encouraged. You need to be held accountable. You need to be kept on that path of saying, keep going. Don't give up. Get input from godly people, from mature, growing Christians who are still on fire for the Lord, regardless of whether they've just gotten started. They're really, really experienced. Still love the Lord. And then celebrate. There's a whole song here, a praise song from Mary in verse 46 to verse 55. She praises God for who He is, for what He's done, for what He will do. She expresses gratefulness to Him, thanksgiving. She's very specific about what He's done. She praises God even though it's about to get really difficult. She counts herself blessed to be a part of God's will. We celebrate even when we're afraid. Even when we're facing something impossible, bigger than us, even when we face hardship, because it turns our attention toward the greatness of God, toward the call of Jesus, toward the power of the Holy Spirit. And then I want to close with this in verse 56 to get started. And Mary stayed with her, Elizabeth, about three months. Then she returned to her home. For some this morning, just like Mary, it's time to say, you know what? I know what God wants me to do. I know how He wants me to live. I know know in general, and, and maybe I know specifically, the will of God for my life. And just like Mary, you say, you know what? It's time to get started. The center of God's will is always the best place to be. Not always safest, but always the best place to be. And just like Mary, it always centers on Jesus. 
Always. To know the one that he has sent. To be sanctified, to be conformed, to be just like him. So what response is it this morning to the call of God on your life that you need to have? Is it to submit? Is it to get input from godly people? Is it to celebrate? Is it just to simply get started? To dive into the word of God, to say yes to the Lord. Maybe to give him your entire life for the very first time and say, I see you for who you are. The very son of God who died for my sins, I submit. I repent and turn from my sin. Let's pray together as we close. Heavenly Father, as we come to a time of quiet response, I pray for those who are struggling, scared, seemingly facing the impossible, what is bigger than them, what will bring hardship in their lives if they truly follow you. Thank you, Lord, for examples in the Scripture of people just like that. So, God, give us the courage that Mary had. Reassure us with your promises. We pray that you would overwhelm us with your your presence and your love. Pray, Lord, you'd help those who need to take a step of faith this morning toward you with their very lives or with something specific. Make us the kind of people, Lord, that they realize that no matter what, we want to be in the center of your will. To believe in you, to be conformed to you, regardless of the cost. Thank you that there was one like Mary who was willing to do that. And we thank you most of all for the one who came as a result of all of that. Thank you for Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.